Our uh, scripture reading this morning is taken from uh, the book of Genesis, and we're going to be reading really the second uh, part of the initial um, story of Abraham, and uh, so I'm going to be reading um, from Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, and it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thanks that uh, the the scriptures uh, come with power, that your spirit works in them to to shape and to mold our hearts, to give us not just uh, a true knowledge of you, but also the right affection and desire for you. So we pray, Lord, that your scriptures would speak to us here this morning. We We pray that you'd visit us with the presence of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, This weekend, uh, at least in uh, the American culture, we uh, reflect on the the life and death of Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, I've always been particularly fascinated with Martin Luther King, not just because he was a, a great civil rights leader who accomplished incredible things, but I've always been uh, curious about him because he was a pastor. Uh, He used to often say that his grandfather was a pastor, his father was a pastor, his brother's a pastor, so of course he was going to be a pastor as well. He had no option in his life. But what a lot of people have noted is that the civil rights movement really began as a pastoral concern about a pastor who was concerned for the health and the life of his flock, those who were under his care. And so when we often think about Martin Luther King, we think about a man of passion, we think about a man of of stalwart conviction, but he, just like any of us, had his moments as well. In fact, Charles Marsh, in his book, The Beloved Community, which is an incredible book that I would recommend, he writes about a time when Martin Luther King's Jr., uh, when, when his faith was really faltering. He writes this, he talks about the story in the middle, about a middle, in the middle of the night, a phone call rang out, and it was Martin Luther King is woken up out of his sleep to answer this phone call, and when he picks up the phone, it's full of, of racial slurs and death threats. 
And uh, what he says is he gets 20 to 30 of these phone calls each day, and often they just roll off of his back. They don't bother him, but for some reason, this phone call more than any other really bothered him. It says this, unwelcome thoughts prey on the mind in the late hours, and King was overcome with fear. He says, I got out of bed and I began to walk the floor. I had heard these things before, but for some reason that night it got to me. Stirred into wakefulness, King made a pot of coffee and sat down at the kitchen table. I felt myself faltering, he said. It was as though the violent undercurrents of the protest rushed in upon him with heightened force. And he surveyed the turbulent waters for a way of escape, searching for an exit point between courage and convenience, a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. And he found none. I was ready to give up, he said. You know, someone once said that that faith is a battle. It was certainly a battle for Martin Luther King, but it was also a battle for Abraham as well. If you've been with us the past couple weeks, we've been looking at this story of Abraham and what it tells us about the nature of faith. And if you were last, with us last week, you'll remember that uh, we saw the promises of God break into time and space, and they were centered on one man whose name was Abraham. God comes to him with these incredible promises, and in perfect obedience, Abraham steps out in incredible faith and did exactly what God called him to do, despite not knowing the full plan. We saw a story in which his faith was absolutely remarkable and strong in following a God he barely knew. But as our passage opens up today, we see that a tension immediately rises. And that tension begs the question, can the promises of God withstand the circumstances of life and the wavering of faith? Or what does God do when we are overwhelmed by circumstances and our faith falters in light of them? Let's first look for a minute at at Abraham's circumstances and what caused all this. What were the, the circumstances of his life? And what we see is that the tension is immediately introduced in verse 10 very simply. Now there was famine in the land. Now, we saw last week that when God initially came to Abraham, he came making, making three big promises. The first was that despite your age, and we believe that Abraham was around 75 years at this point in his life, but despite his age, God came promising him that he will give him offspring and make him into a great nation. God says to him, I will give you a land that is not your own. And he says to him, my hand of blessing will always be upon you. I will never remove it. But now, immediately, the promises are being threatened. And in particular, the promise of land is being threatened by a severe famine. And so, for Abraham, at least according to his 
perspective, the promises of God are now being threatened by the circumstances of his life. And so, would Abraham trust God through the famine, or would he instead choose to take matters into his own hands? And of course, we know the answer to that question. He takes matters into his own hands, and he takes his family, and they move to Egypt. Now, Egypt was a remarkable uh, land in the ancient world. It, of course, had uh, the Nile River running through it, which made it a particularly fertile land for people to inhabit. Uh, It was better than most other lands that had to uh, rely on rainfall in order to water the land. Egypt didn't have to be concerned with that because they had the Nile River. It gave them an advantage over all the other nations. So because Abraham moves to Egypt, taking matters into his own hands, it then led to another problem or another circumstance that threatened the promises of God. Verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, Abraham knows that his wife, he knows his wife well, and he knows that his wife is desirable due to her incredible beauty. Now, don't forget at this point, Sarah is at least 66 years old when he says this about his wife. It's refreshing in a culture that often equates youth with beauty. It's refreshing to see that that the ancient world was probably not quite as vain as we are in American culture. But either way, Sarah's beauty is a problem. And Abraham begins a scheme in order to save his own neck, to protect his own life. And so, by taking matter into his own hands again, the promises of God are threatened once again. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken in to Pharaoh's house. You see, Sarah is now in the possession of the Egyptian empire. How could Abraham and Sarah parent a great nation when she no longer belonged to Abraham? You see, both of the promises of God have been threatened here in many ways by Abraham's lack of faith. And parenthetically, this also had to threaten the strength of Abraham's marriage as well, to do this to his wife as well. We can't miss that at all. But what we are really observing here is the wavering of Abraham's faith. You see, the first nine verses of chapter 12 picture a man of incredible faith. But by verse uh, verse 11, it's as if this faith has entirely disappeared because of Abraham's circumstances. It tells us, at least in Abraham's case, that fear had driven out almost all of his faith. You see, fear or or lack of trust always drives out faith. And when faith disappears, we often rush in to take matters into our own hands. And when we do, we are often pretty good at making a greater mess of things. 
Take a minute to look at Abram's fear, or Abraham's fear. He was, he was afraid that God would not provide for he and his family during the famine, and despite the fact that God had promised to bless him. And that fear led to a second fear. He was afraid that God would not protect he and his family from the might of the Egyptians. So he wanted to protect his own neck. So he responded in fear when the circumstances got tough rather than faith. You see, our fear often causes us to doubt the power and might of God And when we do, we tend to overinflate our own ego in fixing the circumstances that challenge us. See, Abram's fear here distorted his thinking. He believed in some distorted way that he was better figuring it all out on his own. So he was captured by fear, and then he was captured by pride. He chose to to play the role of God instead of relying on God, manipulating and controlling his situation in the best way that he saw fit. And friends, I can't tell you how many times this exact pattern plays out in my own life. You see, every day God promises and promises us things, and yet presents us with circumstances that feel too big for us. And he asks us to place our faith in him. So when those circumstances begin to burden you, those circumstances that weigh heavy on your heart, when they begin to burden you, do you react in fear? When those circumstances threaten, do you react in pride, believing that you have it all figured out or you've got the stuff in you or what it takes to solve the problem? Because neither one of those responses is faith. You know, the gospel story tells us that the greatest challenge that humanity faces are the circumstances of sin and death. The gospel tells us that we stand before a perfect judge guilty of rebelling against his perfect will. And some, when they realize those circumstances, some respond in fear. But most respond in pride. In some ways, working hard to earn their way back to God. They'd rather be their own gods and take matters into their own hands. But the gospel calls us to respond in faith. To place our faith instead in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Every day we are confronted with challenges that call us to place our faith in the Father to reject fear and pride, and instead to walk in faith. Psalm 122 is a beautiful psalm, and I think it it pictures it beautifully. It says this. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. In other words, I lift my eyes off my circumstances. I lift my eyes off my own ego and pride, and instead I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber or sleep. The Lord is our keeper. The tension of our story really begs the question, ultimately, how will God wind up responding to Abraham's wavering faith? And what we see on display here ultimately is God's response. We see on display the faithfulness of God. See, unfortunately, this is not a one-time thing for Abraham. It actually becomes a pattern in his life, unfortunately, because you read later on in Genesis 20 that Abraham does the exact same thing, it's just with a different king. That king's name is Abimelech. But at the end of the story of passing his wife off as his sister once again, at the end of that story in Genesis 20, God winds up blessing Abraham. If you keep reading in Genesis, tragically, just like father and son, Abraham's son Isaac does the exact same thing in Genesis 26 with his wife Rebekah. And what is so surprising about each one of these cases with Abraham and his son is that Abraham seems blessed or even rewarded for his lack of faith. Even our passage begs this incredible question, why would God bless Abraham in the midst of his wavering faith and wind up cursing the Egyptians? Because after all, they were the ones that were lied to and deceived. Well, and the answer is because God promised to. And God is always faithful to his promises. You see, the strength of God's promises were not tied to the strength of Abraham's faith. But the strength of God's promises are tied to the faithfulness of God. And friends, if this is true of Abraham, this is also true for you and I as well. God calls each and every one of us to live a life of faith, often in spite of overwhelming circumstances. He calls us to each day work hard to strengthen our faith and to trust more in him rather than ourselves. But his promises to us are not dependent on the strength of our faith. Instead, they are built on the faithfulness of God's character. And friends, I don't know about you, that is good news to me. You see, at the moment of our salvation, the moment when you and I, by faith, transfer our trust from ourselves to Jesus Christ, the Lord makes promises to us in that moment. And Psalm 22 tells us what those promises are. The Lord will keep you, you're going out, and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And there are no qualifiers on that promise. Charles Marsh goes on to finish the story. As Martin Luther King sat alone in his kitchen in the middle of the night, he said that he recalled the words of Jesus, I will never leave you alone. He writes, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before, he said. 
Almost at once, all my fears began to go. King said of his midnight flash of illumination and resolve, my uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. Let's pray.